Texas A&M beats Alabama on a walk-off field goal. Old Miss and Arkansas score 103 combined points in one of the best SEC games in years. Iowa and Penn State battled for Big Ten supremacy. Oklahoma somehow finds a way to survive against Texas, plus every other close game from Week 6 and what the update on the college football playoff picture looks like. It's all next. I'm Jay Smith, and this is After Further Review. And now, after further review, a Clemson student's perspective on sports. And the personal foul on number 99 of the defense. After he tackled the quarterback, he's giving them business down there at the 15-yard penalty. Well, welcome everyone to another edition of After Further Review. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Jay Smith. Best week of college football ever. Uh, the case could certainly be made. Week six of the 2021 season uh, was nothing short of legendary. So many good games at all sorts of different time slots. Uh, probably the best slate of noon games I, I think I've ever seen. I mean, just unbelievable uh, how back and forth. Even the games that you know I, I, I didn't list in the opening line. You know, there were so many uh, that were noteworthy. And, and what we're going to do, because typically, right, we only break down like two to three of the big games from the previous week. We're going we're gonna to try to do a little bit of uh, things different here. We're going to touch on two big games in the first segment and the second segment and then do a big wrap-up of the other miscellaneous games and the action around the country in the final segment. So we're going we're gonna to try and keep pace. The goal is to do it in about an hour. Uh, we'll, see, we'll see how things go. There's a lot to talk about. Obviously, the headliner from this past week is A&M, right? A&M beating Alabama and an unranked Texas A&M. They snapped Alabama's 100 consecutive wins against AP unranked opponents, right? So teams that were unranked in the AP poll, not necessarily the other polls like the coaches poll, but still. Incredible statistic, right? Alabama had a streak of 100 consecutive wins against unranked opponents, and that was the longest streak in the AP poll era, going all the way back to 1936. So essentially, the longest streak in history. And they had come into set, you know, going in Saturday, they had won 19 straight games. That was the longest winning streak in the country. Nick Saban was 24-0 against former assistants, right? We all saw the. The graphic that CBS put up about you know King Saban and his subjects, and you had all the different uh, former um, assistant coaches who are now obviously head coaches at different schools with their um, you know losses to Saban and head-to-head matchups. So there was a lot on the line. This was A&M's third win all time against a, a number one ranked team. Obviously, a huge win for Jimbo Fisher, and you know a big win for, I think, college football. You know, I think that's a fair statement to say. I mean, we, we've talked on this show week after week after week after week, and I'm about to give you another update on the number of ranked teams that have lost through, you know, first it was through two weeks, then it was through three weeks, then it was through four, five. Now we're through six weeks of football and 40, 40 ranked teams have lost a game this season. That is by far the most all-time. I think it's a safe bet to assume 
that this sort of chaos is going to continue and we will set a new record every week throughout the rest of the season right because there's just uh, there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of teams right now that are that are in the AP poll that do have ranks rankings uh, next to their name that are are still trying to find their footing and they have some pretty tough matchups uh, you know you look at it's Schools obviously like like Arizona State still trying to find their footing. NC State, um, SMU, San Diego State both undefeated. If they were to drop a game, Wake Forest, uh, Coastal Carolina, you know schools that um, have have played well and, and obviously Wake survived a scary uh, overtime win against Syracuse this past weekend, but but certainly looked vulnerable. Right, this isn't your Georgia um, looking football team. These are these are teams that are likely going to lose the closer we get to the end of the regular season. So 40 ranked teams have now lost uh, through six weeks. That is by far the most all-time. Let's get back to this Alabama A&M discussion. Listen, A&M came out hot. They came out red hot, firing on all cylinders. They put the tide down by double digits for, I think it was the first time since 2019, and Alabama's last loss uh, which was to Auburn in the Iron Bowl. Uh, so you have to credit AM. Jimbo, I thought, called a masterful game in the first half. They had Alabama's defense guessing. Uh, they were able to play downhill uh, offensively and, and, and move the ball at will. Uh, and, and I really felt like, you know, they gave, you know, Cal- Calzada, right, they gave him uh, opportunities to get comfortable. Obviously, a&M's quarterback uh, Zach uh, Calzada has has come in now, and, and he's he's the starting guy uh, after the injury to to their their starting quarterback at the beginning of the year. But but he has had to step into this role, and he's had to take on the responsibility of of being the starter. And I think this was not only a, a coming out party for him, and and you know getting him comfortable and with a big game, right, big stage. It was at home, but still huge game. For this young man, uh, and he performed well, right? 21 completions, nearly 300 passing yards, three touchdowns. Did have the one blemish with the interception, but he managed the game well, and that's something that you know Jimbo's best teams have have been. You know, they've excelled at, right? Is managing the game, not letting uh, things get away from them. Now there there were a couple there were a couple points throughout the game where a&M didn't quite execute, and obviously, you know, you, you look at the the blocked punt uh, there in the uh, in the second half. That was certainly a huge momentum swing in favor of Alabama, and that sort of got things flowing in the second half uh, for for Alabama because Alabama right was it went into the locker room down by 14. Right? It was a 24 to 10 game at the half. And the third quarter, they still weren't really moving the ball that well. AM had stalled on their drive and, you know, were punting the ball away. And then, obviously, uh, Alabama blocks that, uh, blocks that kick and – or blocks the punt, rather, blocks the punt and, and is able to, to score uh, shortly after. So that was a huge, uh, huge play on special teams and, and even – even when that happened, you could you know you could tell that that A and M uh, wasn't necessarily rattled, right? They they definitely uh, lost their focus a little bit, and you could sort of see that uh, throughout the next few drives. Just receivers weren't 
Uh, they were, you know, it, it, it's a typical thing where you get away from the fundamentals, right? Receivers, they're running their routes. They're already sort of looking upfield before the quarterback has released the ball. They're, they're not focusing on uh, running their route, catching the ball, and then turning upfield. So it's, it's a little bit of that where guys will try and get ahead and try and do too much. That's where mistakes happen. When you try to do too much, that's where mistakes happen. But A&M settled back into it nicely, and, you know, Obviously, the, the, the kickoff return, the following possession was huge, right? And, and you know, that was a, a big answer, right? You get punched in the mouth by Alabama, right? Block punt, ends up being a touchdown. It's now one possession game. And what do you do? You turn right back around and you punch them, and you know, you punch Alabama back in the mouth. You, you do the, the same thing they did to you, and arguably they did it harder, to my point, though, a little bit earlier about A&M's offense sort of getting back in sync, they, they were able to move the ball, but Alabama's defense shut them down in the second half, right? They, they, they really uh, they didn't have long, sustained drives. They only snapped like 10 plays in the third quarter. Uh, the Aggies did. So Alabama certainly made adjustments you know, in the locker room and knew, like, we're, guys, we're down by 14 on the road. There's a hundred and what was it like a hundred and five hundred six thousand fans, like second largest crowd in A&M history at that game. It's a it, you know couldn't ask for a bigger environment, couldn't ask for a bigger stage. You know you're the defending national champs with a 19 game winning streak on the road. Uh, so you know there's a, certainly a lot to play for. And Alabama does what Alabama. You know, they, they, they did what they always are able to do, claw their way back into games, you know, make plays, uh, focus on executing, you know, just the next play and just moving the ball down the field very methodically. You, you, you know, they had explosive plays uh, in the second half, certainly, but, I mean, a lot of their drives in the fourth quarter alone, you had a nine-play, 48-yard drive, a 13-play, 64-yard drive, and then a nine-play, 82-yard drive, all which resulted in points, obviously the first two being field goals and the last one a touchdown with five minutes to go in the game. And that was that was a, a you know touchdown to take the lead, right? All of a sudden, the, the script had flipped. And in a matter of, you know, 25 minutes of game time, right, we're going into the locker room down by two scores, 10 to 24, with five minutes to go in the football game, Alabama is on top by a score, and A&M has to answer. And A&M was able to do that. They were able to go six plays, 65 yards in two minutes, and tie the game up, and then actually hold Alabama uh, and force a punt and then get the ball back. And when they got the ball, they were able to move it efficiently and effectively. Eight plays, 54 yards in the last two two minutes, eight seconds, to kick that go-ahead field goal. Uh, Just a little 28-yard chip shot, right? There wasn't much to it. Uh, they set up their kicker, uh, Seth Small, in a good spot right between the hashes, and he just went out there and executed. Now, it, it did waver. I mean, it, it was close. Like, I'm not going to pretend like he drilled it down the center. Uh, it was certainly a close kick. You have to imagine the nerves that came with that, that type of kick in that type of game. But A&M did what they needed to do down the stretch. And, and I will say there's very, very few teams that – belong in that sort of category and on a list where you can look at them and say in crunch time against Alabama they executed and won the game right they were able to do what they needed to do 
to to win that game. A lot of times, teams have been in this situation before against an Alabama or even against Alabama themselves, and they haven't been able to get it done. Right? They haven't gotten that first down, or they haven't they haven't you know forced Alabama to punt the ball with two and a half minutes left of of game time. Very impressive performance. Uh, by the Aggies on defense, especially in the latter half of that fourth quarter, uh, just because of how many snaps they were forced to take in the second half because AM's offense wasn't really moving the ball that well. They, they weren't sustaining drives, uh, and uh, and they you know were having a tough go. In fact, you look at the total yards, that was really a big story. right? When Alabama retook the lead, they flashed a stat up on the screen that showed total yards, and AM had like, Less than 30 since the start of the third quarter, and you obviously had you know two, two fifty, whatever it was in the first half. Whereas Alabama was consistent, right? Like two, two oh seven in the first half, and then it was like two oh four at that point in the second half. And Alabama outgained AM 522 to 379, uh, pretty equal on the first downs 25 for Alabama, 24 for Texas AM. Big distinction here was the turnover margin. It was plus one in favor of AM. Obviously, Alabama had uh, two two turnovers. Overall, though, thoughts on this game? I know there's there's so many other games we're trying to get to here, but uh, I think this is a big win for an AM team that saw a lot of their hopes and dreams for this season slip away coming off back to back losses. Obviously, you know, this is not this season that, that A&M wanted to, to have. You know, A&M came in here in, into 2021 with college football playoff aspirations, you know, SEC championship aspirations. They were one game away last year from winning the West Division. Obviously, they, they lost to Alabama, and, you know, they, they were expecting to compete again for the division title, possibly play for an SEC championship title. And then, you know, you figure once you get to that point, you're, you're going to be safe in the playoff. But losses to Arkansas, a 20-10 loss against Arkansas, and a 26-22 loss against a surprisingly scrappy Mississippi State team. Uh, you know, that, that's what resulted in their 3-2 and two, uh, record going into the Alabama game. So this gives them a huge boost. It uh, reminds them that there's plenty to play for, even though they are fifth in the SEC West right now. And they, they got a pretty easy schedule coming up. Uh, until they hit Old Miss November 13th, it's it's pretty smooth sailing. You got at Mizzou, uh, you have South Carolina, then you're going to uh, host Auburn. That'll be a good game. But through the rest of October, the Aggies should feel very comfortable. And honestly, even if they were to drop the game to Old Miss, I don't think a 9-3 and three season's anything to be too upset about, right? You go to a bowl game, let's say you take care of business, you're a 10-win football team. There are not many schools that fall into that category at the end of the year. Huge win for A&M, uh, does a lot for Jimbo Fisher and sort of uh, validates what he's trying to build, the culture, the program, everything uh, at College Station for the Aggies. And I think, you know, again, this loss by Alabama just further proves, as I have said, now pretty much – since the Clemson game, that Georgia is the best team in the country. Right? That's not something that I'm jumping on now. It's something I've said for weeks. Georgia looks like the best team in the country. Alabama had some weaknesses against Florida. They looked strong against Ole Miss, but we're seeing now a little bit of inconsistent play, especially on defense. 
And Nick Saban coached teams don't fare well in shootouts, right? When Clemson and Alabama were playing each other in national titles, when the score started creeping up, it became a game that favored uh, Clemson more more often than not. And, and that's just how Saban, you know, coaches his teams, likes to play the games, lower scoring affairs, uh, where, you know, possessions are few and far between, like long drives, right? That's a, that's a staple of Nick Saban's Alabama squads, long drives that chew up a lot of clock. And, uh, yeah, the higher scoring you get, it just it doesn't bode well for the Tide. So certainly doesn't end their season. I mean, they're sitting at fifth right now in the poll. It'll be very interesting to see uh, how they um, where, where they sit, right? Because, I mean, you got to think, if Georgia, Iowa, Cincinnati, and Oklahoma, if, if they keep winning – someone's going to have to lose for, for Alabama to get back in. Now, if Alabama and Georgia ultimately meet in Atlanta for an SEC championship game, it opens up the door, certainly. Uh, but as things stand now, I was sort of surprised. With, with how Oklahoma, how close they played Texas uh, this past week in the Red River uh, rivalry, I, I, was, I was expecting Alabama to maybe stay at four. But that is not the case. Um, so we'll, we'll have to see how things continue to pan out for the Tide uh, as the season progresses. Okay, we want to talk now about Old Miss and Arkansas. Yes, Arkansas, rather. Uh, and yes, I am repping my, my Old Miss gear. Huge win for the Rebels. 103 combined points in that matchup. 52-51. If you haven't, if you didn't watch the game, I'm sure you've seen the highlights. Obviously, Arkansas attempting that two-point conversion at the end of the game, the, you know, to get the go-ahead score, uh, and and they were unsuccessful in that attempt. Just a, a crazy game that started so slow, right? Started super slow. It was seven to zero at the end of the first quarter. Corral for Old Miss was was not having a lot of success. Uh, Jefferson for Arkansas, they, they were just were sort of feeling things out, which is interesting because we haven't seen either of those offenses look lost. Uh, for any extended period of time, like we saw on Saturday in that first quarter, where Old Miss was just not in sync offensively. Same could be said, really, for, for Arkansas. They, they did have that uh, touchdown drive in the first quarter. It was an impressive drive. 15 plays, 82 yards, chewed up almost half the time in that first quarter. Six minutes, 55 seconds. Uh, but Old Miss answered early on in the second uh, with their own 17-play drive, 75 yards. I mean, these were just long, long drives. Um, and and that sort of kicked it all off, right? Once once both teams got on the board, it was touchdown, 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 touchdown. And it looked reminiscent of the Old Miss-Alabama game we saw last season in Oxford. Uh, we went into the into the half with a 14-21 to 21 score in favor of the Rebels and then saw more fireworks in the second half. I mean, you look at the stats here. We are talking almost 1,300 total yards of offense, uh, 676 for Arkansas, 611 for Ole Miss. Perhaps most impressive is that Ole Miss gained that 611 yards in just 24 and a half minutes. Like, the time of possession in this game was not super even, uh, and, and in fact, the first downs, right? Like Old Miss had much, uh, they had more explosive plays, bigger chunk plays. You see that reflected 
In the first down category, Old Miss had 22 first downs, Arkansas with 39. So certainly the defensive coordinators are going back and watching film today, breaking this all down, figuring out what they need to do. I know DJ Durkin for Old Miss will, will certainly be doing that. But, uh, you know, all the craziness of this game aside, we talked about it on last week's show. Old Miss coming off a loss to Alabama, right? Tough loss on the road. Rebels wanted to compete. They wanted to contend. I'm sure it's it's extra salt in that wound now that they see how AM was able to down Alabama. Uh, and Arkansas, right? Arkansas, you know, uh, obviously coming off their loss to to Georgia and in such embarrassing fashion. You know, it's it's tough because the Razorbacks were not expected to compete, as we've said, week after week. They were not expected to be anywhere in the you know conversation for a division title. And there they sat 4-0, ranked 8, traveling to Athens, where they proceed to get obliterated. Was it 37 to nothing? Uh, and then have to rebound by traveling to Oxford the following week, which you know, Old Miss right now is playing... I'd say like a top 15 football team. I think they're right now, yeah, they're at 13th, which is fair. I don't, I don't, I don't think they're uh, up there with Michigan and Penn State and Oregon. I don't think they're that high up yet. I just they need to have more consistency on the defensive side of the ball. Offensively, it's there. There's a reason that Matt Corral is second in the Heisman right now, you know, projection because of how well he commands that offense and how you know effectively they're able to move the ball on offense. It's just that Old Miss's defense is what's going to hold them back from being able to win in that sort of game against a current top 10 team. But seriously, for, for this game, it was all about who could rebound. And I got to be honest, both teams did. Both teams did. Like, I know you're only going to have one winner, and I'm certainly glad that Old Miss was able to prevail. I, I don't think Arkansas can be disappointed by this performance. Like, you scored 51 points on the road after coming off a week where you were shut out. Now, Georgia's defense and Old Miss's defense are not comparable, right? That's two totally different uh, types of defenses you're playing there. One's probably the best in the country, if not the best, uh, and one's Old Miss's defense, right? So you, you have to take that into consideration, but still, to come out and execute the way that they did and to see the grit and determination, because as we talked about with AM, right, their their loss, uh, their their first loss, uh, kind of derailed them a bit, right? So when they went up against Mississippi State, you know, it was almost a little bit of a, a hangover effect where uh, you know they they probably dropped the game that they really shouldn't have, right? They, they should have been able to take care of. Uh, of Mississippi State, and it, it just they, it was kind of a trap game. They were sleeping, and they just didn't they didn't take care uh, of business. And and I know you know they lost to Arkansas and, and all this, and so it's it, you're sort of using the transitive property here. But I think for 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 Arkansas and Ole Miss, the big takeaway here is that both teams rebounded well. Uh, they they looked uh, like they still had some fight in them, and that they still wanted to compete. And when it's going to be tough now for Arkansas, it's going to be tough to you know lose back-to-back games after being ranked in the top ten. Like that's not fun. It's never fun to lose back-to-back games. It's especially not fun to lose back-to-back games 
after being ranked in the top 10, right? That, you know, so it, it, they're sitting at 17th right now in the AP poll. But as we just discussed with A&M, right, a team that lost to Arkansas, lost to Mississippi State, turned around and beat Alabama. I don't think that'll necessarily happen for Arkansas, but there is a blueprint for what that looks like, um, you know, for the Razorbacks to, to go, okay, A&M was able to do this, and they were able to figure out a way to, to sort of get their, their footing back uh, and, and continue to play, right? The, the, the season is not over, and that's what Saban has said. That's what Dabo has said. That's what Ryan Day has said. That's all these coaches, pretty much ex- except for Kirby Smart, they've all said there's still something to play for. And you, you look at Arkansas's schedule, right? They have Auburn. Um, you've got Mississippi State, LSU, uh, and Mizzou and an Alabama matchup. So some tricky games left in conference play, but you know they have a lot to play for and certainly uh, I, I would imagine want to, to continue to try and compete in the SEC West, which is just probably the most crowded division in football, uh, not just this season, but almost, almost every single year. So big win for Ole Miss, certainly at home, propels them to four and one. Overall, well, Arkansas drops to to four and two, but yeah, the big storyline here is that both teams rebounded very well. Extremely impressed with with both of their performances. All right, let's take our first break. We're going to come back and talk Iowa and Penn State, the battle for Big Ten supremacy and the Red River rivalry, Oklahoma and Texas, and a classic shootout. We'll break it down next. Welcome back to AFR. Again, thanks so much for tuning in, whether you are watching AFR on Facebook or you're listening to the AFR podcast, wherever you you listen to your podcast, uh, the AFR podcast is available for for download. You can take it on the go. Let's let's crack this uh, second segment wide open. Start off with the biggest Big Ten game of the season. Uh, That would be Penn State against Iowa. Boy, did this not disappoint. I mean, the whole weekend was phenomenal. Every game was phenomenal. But this game was really, really good. And it, and it needed to be, right? It needed to be uh, because the previous two games we talked about were SEC games. And the SEC was supposed to have their marquee week last week. You know, it, it obviously wasn't that close with Alabama beating Ole Miss pretty soundly and, and Georgia, um, you know, whipping Arkansas, but the Big Ten needed a big game. They needed a game to remind everybody, hey, we're still here. You know, the Big Ten is is got serious uh, college football playoff contenders, teams that can compete for a title this year. Here you go. They're on display. Put them on the field, play 60 minutes. And that's what we saw in Iowa Saturday night in a phenomenal game out of out of Iowa City. Two extremely evenly matched teams, you know, not just in the stat sheet and, and everything, but just physicality, uh, depth, the whole nine yards. Just just a great matchup, one that I really enjoyed watching. Uh, and I think it speaks to several things. And I and again I I, I want to get in depth in these matchups and talk, you know, some nitty gritty, but also for, for time constraints, uh, I'm just going to gloss over a few things here, but big takeaways out of this game. James Franklin 
is a hell of a coach. Hell of a coach. Uh, I know he's, he's been rumored for that USC position now for a couple of weeks. I don't know if there's any uh, further updates with regards to that USC position, but to, to have a team last year in 2020, first AP top 10 team to start the season 0-5, and, and then to turn around and have a 5-0 and start, you know, yes, you know, talent and reps and experience all play a part, but getting guys to believe, getting young guys, right, 18, 19-year-olds to believe in that is something completely different, and that takes a special person. So extremely impressed in what James Franklin has been able to do at Penn State. Now, obviously, a lot of that success on the field can be attributed and should be attributed to Sean Clifford, great player for the Nittany Lions. Now, his his injury obviously changed the dynamic of that game a lot. There were some people after the game who said, you know, if Clifford stays in, Penn State rolls him. I don't necessarily agree. I don't, I don't necessarily agree. I do think he was probably their most dynamic playmaker on the field at the time of his injury. Uh, but, but more than that, it was a psychological blow, right? It was a psychological blow because now, you know, your leader is gone. It's it's like, you know, if if you're Clemson, you know, Skalski goes out. Or if you're Old Miss, Matt Corral goes out. I mean, every team has one, right? Every team has that that guy that that's the center of you know, he's on the he's got the heartbeat of the team in his hands, right? He, he's able to, you know, tap into the pulse of the team. And that is Sean Clifford for Penn State. That's that's what he has been able to bring uh, the intangible, right? You know, tangible on the field, you know, passing, right? all that sort of stuff is fine, X's and O's, but the intangibles are also important and worth noting, and that's what Clifford has brought the Nittany Lions this season. So his injury was a big deal. Now, Iowa, you know, they started pretty flat on, on offense. They didn't, they didn't have much going. Penn State came out uh, and played pretty downhill on, on defense, impressed with with their physicality. And we knew, you know, coming into this game that, that Iowa had one of the best defenses in the country. And in crunch time, they did what they needed to do, right? Penn State, yeah, they got 20 points, but their last their, their last score was with six and a half minutes to go in the third quarter. So you're talking 20 minutes of football? Right? Almost 22 minutes of game time. A third of the game. The last third of the game, Penn State didn't score. That's an elite defense for Iowa. That's an elite defense. Say what you want about Clifford being out. Say what you want about it being at home for the Hawkeyes. They have an elite defense. Now, the, the backup quarterback for Penn State certainly looked lost right Right at times. He, he, didn't, he didn't look uh, nearly as composed under pressure than, than Clifford, and he's not supposed to. He's the backup. But, you know, I don't think this is as much about, like I know in the second quarter, you know, when Penn State kicked that field goal uh, to cap their 14-play, 66-yard drive, and they were up 17-3, to I don't, I don't view this as a Penn State meltdown. I, I don't. I view it more of Iowa sort of sleeping for the first 15 to 20 minutes and finally get it 
going on offense. And sure, they only scored 23 points, but in crunch time, their defense stepped up, made plays, and, you know, put that backup quarterback into rest, right? He was kind of running around, scrambling, having to heave the ball up. Uh, that opens up, you know, mis- opportunity for mistakes. And that was another key to this game is the mistakes that Penn State made, especially when you look at turnovers, right? Four turnovers for the Nittany Lions compared to Iowa's one. And people are going to say, oh, well, you know, if Clifford had been in the game, yeah, yeah. Clifford threw two of those picks, okay? Clifford threw two of those picks. He didn't have a terrible night, but when you go 15 for 25 for 146 yards and two picks, you're not really setting your team up for success. And I know that they were in the lead by two scores, but I'm still going to attribute that more to Iowa not waking up until early to midway through the second quarter, right? It took a little while for the Hawkeyes to get going, but once they were able to do it, you know, they, they put everything together, they put all the pieces together, and ultimately their defense makes, makes the play to win the game, right? Their uh, interception at the end of the game there sealed the win and allowed them to remain undefeated. Huge win for Iowa, obviously now second in the AP poll, a team that I personally feel could compete with Georgia right now. I think, you know, I, I was still... The jury was still sort of out for me on Iowa until I saw this performance against Penn State. Georgia, I have been pretty much convinced since week one after the Clemson game, this is the best team in the country. This is this is the best team in the country. And they have proved it every single week. Iowa, it was it was still sort of a, we'll, we'll have to see. Now I'm convinced. I am convinced that the Hawkeyes belong in that college football playoff, right, top few spots. Uh, title contenders, they're playing like a national championship caliber football team right now. Cincinnati sitting at three has got to be just loving it. I mean, they they are, um, they're not safe by any stretch of the imagination, right? They lose a game, they're going to drop so far, they'll never see the top the rest of the season, right? Or even get close to it. But the Bearcats at three, I'm sure the American is, is, they're loving this, right, for as long as they're going to keep Cincinnati before they go to the, the Big 12. Um, but, yeah, I, I think, you know, Iowa has has been consistent this season, obviously 6-0. and This was a huge win for the Hawkeyes. And when you look at their schedule coming up, it, it looks good. It looks good. Purdue at Wisconsin, which now doesn't look nearly as menacing with the issues the Badgers have had this season, at Northwestern. Minnesota, Illinois, at Nebraska. Maybe Nebraska gives them a tough time, but by then you'd like to think the Hawkeyes would have a Big Ten uh, West division locked up. I mean, it, you know, remains remains to be seen, and they may have to go up against Ohio State. You know, can't count out Michigan or Michigan State, right? The Big Ten is is definitely the most interesting conference right now. You know, if you look across the divisions. The Big Ten has the most going on. SEC is very lopsided in the West. The ACC is just dead across the board. Uh, the Pac-12 is sort of Oregon and Arizona State. And then the Big 12, obviously, they don't do divisions, so there's nothing there. But, yeah, the Big Ten is is one to watch. If you like watching you know, battles for, for division titles and conference uh, championship berths, it's the Big Ten to watch this season. So huge win for the Hawkeyes 
uh, and it just helps their program build confidence as they're going to inevitably be in that college football playoff discussion. They will be ranked uh, in you know top two. I'm expecting in that first college football playoff poll. Fully, fully expecting that. Let's let's talk about a team now that's not going to be ranked in the top four in the first college football playoff rankings. That's my prediction anyway, and that would be Oklahoma. Uh, the Sooners are at four right now after their win against Texas. They're just crazy win, crazy game, crazy game, right? 55-48, uh, back and forth, back and forth. Two late touchdowns uh, for, for, for Brooks um, on the ground for Oklahoma. Big, big plays, big chunk plays for the Sooners. I want to give Oklahoma credit. I do. I, I want to sit here and say, you know, the Sooners, they're starting to put it together. They're a 6-0 team. They're starting to look like a top-four caliber football team. They're just not. They're just not. They're, they're barely scraping by. Every game, it's been the same. And the only reason they scraped by was because they outscored Texas. They outscored Texas, 31-7 to in the last 16 minutes of football. 31-7 to in the last 16 minutes. With a minute and two seconds left in that third quarter, they went up four plays, 78 yards. Mims, obviously, that 14-yard touchdown pass to Caleb Williams. And, I'm sorry, from from Caleb Williams. I apologize. Caleb Williams is the quarterback. So Caleb Williams threw to Marvin Mims for the touchdown. And then Oklahoma went nine plays, 71 yards. uh, Five plays, 61 yards. uh, Six plays, 75 yards. Like, they were putting together long drives. Long drives. And Texas had no answer on defense. None. They just collapsed like a deck of cards. There was there was nothing there for the Longhorns. I don't know if they, I don't know if the tank was empty and they ran out of gas, or Oklahoma just turned on the Jets and all of a sudden remembered, oh, we actually have an offense. Um, if this if this is the Oklahoma we saw, like two or three games out of the year so far, right? If 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 Oklahoma, if the last sixteen minutes of this game, if that version of Oklahoma had been on display. A few times by now, I would I'd be singing a different tune because I'd say, "Listen, Oklahoma's inconsistent, but they're not scraping by. It doesn't feel like it's always close. It feels like it's always close because it's always close for Oklahoma. All their wins this season have been close. And Texas, I think, is more more about them sort of collapsing, you know, down down the stretch, really, than than Oklahoma finding." a way to, to win. I mean, you know, I know that that Sarkeesian has has obviously got a new team and, and he's trying to get things organized and, and established uh, in Austin, but man, uh, we're just, we are seeing some epic collapses on the defensive side of the football across college football these past few years. Just epic collapse. I mean, 31 points. 31 points in the last 16 minutes. And that's not even with a turnover. That's not with a turnover. None of those points are off turnovers. 
None of them are, are kickoff returns for touchdowns. Like, there's nothing weird or wacky. It's just Oklahoma got the ball and just hauled butt down the field. They just kept driving every time they touched it. And so, yeah, I mean, Texas, you know, at one point, they were up 23-38 to 38 on Oklahoma. They had this game, uh, excuse me, uh, 20 to 38, a little bit earlier, right? Going into the locker room at halftime, it was an 18 point, well, it was a three possession game in favor of the Longhorns. And I felt like it was fairly safe. I, I felt like Oklahoma was certainly going to get within a possession, but Texas still had a very comfortable lead. I mean, anything more than three possessions is a bit of a blowout, right? If you're, if you're leading by, you know, 25 points when you're in that four possession mark, like that's a blowout. So A&M, or excuse me, <laughs> Texas rather, <laughs> the, the other Texas, the Longhorns, not the Aggies, uh, the Longhorns had to be feeling comfortable going into that locker room at halftime beating the Sooners. But yeah, things just sort of fell apart for them. It fell apart for them on defense and their offense scored 10 points in, in the entire second half, right? They had the field goal, late in the third quarter, and then that touchdown drive that that got them back to being tied with Oklahoma uh, with just a minute 23 to play, right? The six-play, 60-yard drive in a, in a minute and a half. That, and I was sitting there when I was watching this going, where was this the second half, Texas? Like, you, you went six plays, 60 yards in 90 seconds. Why couldn't you have done this once in addition to when you're doing it now, right? You could have scored a touchdown or kicked a field goal, and right now you'd be going ahead to win the game, not trying to tie. So, uh, you know, I, it's a it's a it's a great win for Oklahoma certainly because you know they uh, they need wins on their resume and they need to continue to try to impress the. I mean, it says a lot to me. It says a lot to me that Oklahoma is currently ranked below Cincinnati. Now we'll we'll have to see when the playoff rankings come out, if that's the case, if both these schools are undefeated, because Oklahoma is going to have more opportunities than Cincinnati to continue to pad that resume. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, big big takeaway here is that this is more about Texas sort of collapsing in the second half, similar to what we saw out of A&M against Alabama. It's just that A&M found a way to sort of get the juice flowing again. Texas did not. Texas... Texas just couldn't, they couldn't, I don't know if it was because it was a neutral site location, right? We're playing this at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas. I mean, this is a big rivalry game. These teams want to win. Uh, the Red River rivalry is a big deal, and the Sooners ultimately found a way to, to get it done. Um, yeah, you know, you got to credit them there and being able to figure out a way to win the game, but I think Texas certainly at least a sour, sour taste in their mouth. Uh, with how they performed in the last 30 minutes of football. I mean, in the fourth quarter, getting outscored 25-7 to in the fourth quarter alone, that's just not going to win you many football games, especially in the Big 12. It's not going to win you many football games in the in the Big 12. Uh, all right, let's take a break now. Last break of the show, we'll come back. We're going to wrap up Week 6, talk about all the other close games, touch on them briefly. And let's give a little update on what the college football playoff picture looks like uh, now that we are halfway through the regular season. Stick around. It's next. Welcome back to AFR. Last segment of this episode. Appreciate you sticking around and tuning in. This has been, it's probably been one of the best weeks 
of college football that I can ever remember. I mean, this season's been phenomenal, right? The games that we've seen have been great. We've seen upsets aplenty. Uh, teams that are typically at the top, right? Your Clemson's, your Ohio State's, your Alabama's struggling. And then Michigan, Wake Forest um, are undefeated. Kentucky is undefeated. I mean, just, just crazy, crazy stuff this season across college football. Uh, and a lot of great, a lot of great games. A lot of great games from week six. We've touched on, you know, the four big ones, right? You obviously had Texas A&M taking down Alabama. Uh, you had Old Miss and, and Arkansas, you know, in a shootout. That was obviously a rivalry game where the Rebels prevailed in that one. Iowa and Penn State in a huge top four Big Ten matchup. Uh, and then Oklahoma and Texas in the Red River rivalry back and forth uh, there at the end, and Oklahoma found a way to prevail. But there were other games uh, of note across college football, and we're going to touch on them here briefly. I'll start with Georgia and Auburn. The Dogs win this one uh, 34-10 to on the road. Impressive performance uh, for Georgia. Uh, Stetson Bennett, Looked pretty poised in this game. Threw for over 200 yards and two touchdowns. George has certainly left some points out there on the field. But the big story here continues to be, it continues to be, is George's championship caliber defense. This is a stifling, smothering defense that is only improving as the weeks have gone on. Right, Even Iowa, who I have felt like was the best defense in the country those first few weeks, they, they, I haven't seen continual improvement. I haven't seen Iowa's defense play better than they did the prior week. I'm seeing Georgia's defense continue to improve. Um, and, hey, if you're going to only let a team score 10 points, doesn't matter if you score 34, doesn't matter if you score 24, you're going to win a lot of football games, especially uh, in, the, in the SEC. Um, Nebraska and Michigan, this was a very close game that – didn't, didn't get a lot of eyeballs. It didn't get a lot of eyeballs because it was going on uh, the same time that the A&M-Alabama game was, and so it, it suffered because of that. But this was a close game, and the Wolverines, breathing a huge sigh of relief, escaping uh, Lincoln uh, and the Cornhuskers with a 32-29 to win. Obviously, that, that brings uh, Harbaugh and, and his Wolverines to, to 6-0, on the season, and it begs the question, is Michigan for real uh, this year? Is Michigan going to be able to compete for a Big Ten championship? Is Michigan going to be in the conversation for a college football playoff? Those those questions will be answered, obviously, later this season, right? Michigan's got a matchup. They have a date with Ohio State uh, later in the year, so all that stuff will will get figured out. Uh, as we approach the conclusion of the regular season. But, yeah, I mean, impressive game, really, for the for the Wolverines. I got to credit Nebraska, though, and Scott Frost for, for hanging around. Uh, they were outgained uh, by, by Michigan. They turned the ball over more than Michigan. They had fewer first downs, fewer time of possession than Michigan. Still found a way to make it close. Still found a way to make it interesting and to make it a nail-biter and require Michigan to kick that uh, 39-yard field goal with about a minute 24 left. It was just under 90 seconds, and, and obviously we're 
were able to go ahead there, and that ensuing offensive possession for Nebraska was disastrous. It, was, it never felt like it was going to get off the ground. Uh, it certainly did not. But the fact that it was a three-point margin, I think, you know, it speaks to um, Nebraska's grit and determination. They slipped to three and four on the year. They're one and three in Big Ten play. It's been since 1999 since the Cornhuskers have won a conference championship. That streak is certainly going to continue for the next few years. Another upset that we haven't touched on, haven't seen much coverage of this at all, uh, number 10, BYU, lost to Boise State at home on on, uh, on Saturday, 26-17. Ends the Cougars' hopes for a college football playoff berth. Uh, lackluster offensive performance here, uh, being shut out in the second and third quarters. Uh, just disappointing all the way around. Just not, not a clean game for Boise State. And, you know, they had turnovers. Um, just didn't take care of the football, and you got to credit the Broncos for taking advantage, especially on the road, because BYU understood, right? I said this a couple weeks ago. BYU understands the situation they're in with regards to having to win their games and look impressive, right? They they need to look impressive winning uh, their games to get the attention of the committee, because we don't really know where the committee would put them, right? We know where the AP poll has them. But we don't know where the committee would have the Cougs. And obviously this loss pretty much guarantees that we will not see BYU in the uh, in any sort of playoff discussion as the season uh, gets closer to the end. Notre Dame-Virginia Tech. This was another great game. A game that came down to the, to the wire. The Fighting Irish found a way to win at Lane Stadium on the road. Uh, just, you know, Brian Kelly... Uh, finding a way for his team to to get it done. Um, Virginia Tech, though, and Justin Fuente, they, they battled hard. I mean, they really did. They they battled hard and showed a lot of grit and determination. I, I don't think um, you know Virginia Tech should should feel um, too defeated after this performance. But certainly for Notre Dame, at least, there there's got to be some questions about their ability to be consistent, right? Because we've seen Notre Dame look really strong and then other performances, uh, they, they've had some some inconsistent play. Um, but I think, you know, overall, this this, this was a good game. It was a good game. It was a back-and-forth game. Uh, you know, the obviously the, the go-ahead field goal there with 17 seconds to play is what did it for the Fighting Irish. But listen... Going into Lane Stadium and winning a football game on a Saturday night isn't easy. doesn't matter who you are. So the fact that Notre Dame was able to prevail and get this done, um, you know, I think says a lot about where Brian Kelly has this team mentally. And for Virginia Tech, right, they were 3-1 and one coming into this game. They slipped to 3-2. and two. Not a huge deal. It's, a, it's an out-of-conference game for, for the Hokies. And, you know, certainly they were hoping – to, to take down, you know, uh, you know, ranked team, right? That would be a huge uh, win for them and, and, and kind of boost their morale, but ultimately couldn't get it done at home, and they'll, you know, go back to work and, and see what they can do as the season uh, progresses. Uh, Wake Forest, we talked about this a little bit earlier in the show. Wake Forest, still undefeated. They survive. Scary overtime win. 
uh, on the road against Syracuse, 40-37. to Damon Deacons are now 16th in the AP poll. Um, wild. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think anybody would have predicted that this season, but congrats to the Demon Deacons. Uh, at Kentucky, beating LSU pretty soundly. Uh, it was not close. It was 42-21. Saw some angry LSU fans on Twitter after the game calling for Coach O's head. We'll see. We'll see if his seat gets warm. I'm expecting it to get warm pretty soon, and I don't know what the plan is there, but LSU sitting now at 3-3, three and three, it'll be tough for them to finish above 500 and, and make a good bowl game. So things are not looking up for for Coach O. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, a couple other games that are worth you know mentioning, but we didn't necessarily have a lot of time to get in depth uh, on were SMU surviving against Navy 31-24. to Obviously, the Mustangs are still undefeated at 6-0 overall. And then San Diego State, another undefeated team, now 5-0. They took down New Mexico 31-7. to um, But, yeah, I mean, this was a crazy week of college football. Again, I said on the top of the show, probably my favorite week of college football almost ever. I, I can't – I kept thinking as I was watching all these games – going, has there been a week like this where we've just seen so many close games between teams that really have a shot to make noise in the postseason? And I can't recall it all happening on a single weekend uh, during the course of a season. So this was definitely top uh, college football weekend for me all time. Enjoyed it thoroughly. Uh, and, uh, and like I said, I'm excited to see how things shape up for the rest of the season. As it sits right now, I'll go ahead and give you my top four through through week six of this 2021 college football season. Right now, obviously, I'd have Georgia at the number one spot. They're the most complete team, the most consistent team, and they're playing like the most dominant team in the country. Number two, it's not a difficult choice. It's the Iowa Hawkeyes. Big win at home against Penn State for Iowa. They're riding high on emotion. I'm expecting them to continue to get better as the season progresses. That's something I will be watching for to see uh, how they progress as the season goes. And and number three, I'd have Cincinnati. Maybe it's a shocker, but I think the Bearcats uh, behind Desmond Ritter uh, and the leader that he is, I think they have done a tremendous job setting themselves up uh, for success in the postseason. And right now, my fourth best team, I would still stick Alabama at four. I think the Tide, even though they lost A&M on the road, uh, they have demonstrated week after week that they are a top four caliber football team right now. And I honestly think if they played Oklahoma, who's currently sitting at fourth in the AP poll, Bama would beat the brakes off of Oklahoma. So that is my top four through week six. And I will... uh, Continue to update that as we get closer and closer to the postseason, but certainly a lot to look out for, and we will be previewing the games for Week 7 and the the AFR episode that will come out later this week. Look for that on Thursday. Uh, But, yeah, no, this is going to be a big, big week of college football coming up, and we're starting to see divisions take shape, conference, you know, take shape in terms of of championships and, and where teams are and head-to-head matchups. It's 
it's really getting good. It's really getting good. Definitely want to uh, to stick around and tune into as many games as you can this weekend. We'll have all of that uh, broken down for you on the AFR episode that comes out this Thursday. So be on the lookout for that. Until then, we will see you next time. Appreciate you tuning in. Have a good one. I'm Jay Smith, and this has been After Further Review.